All right, what's up, everybody? It is Garrett Anderson coming at you live Wednesday, March 1st. I uh, hope you're well. I'm doing good, doing good. I'm a little tight, so I'm going to be standing up a little bit while I do this and working off a couple notes. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, let's have a little fun over here of, over the next couple minutes. Um, let's see here. Today we're going to uh, make a couple music announcements, talk a little bit about uh, uh, the podcast, uh, talk a little bit about yard sale demos, and uh, I wanted to riff a little bit on Trump's speech uh, to, to the Joint uh, Congress and, and Senate last night. Um, was it Joint Congress-Senate or just Joint Congress? I don't know. Um, and uh, talk a little bit about seeing the Star Wars movie Rogue One the other day. That was really cool. Um, and, uh, and then just wrap it up with a, a quick shout out about an upcoming gig and, and a couple things I'm doing musically. So, uh, so yeah, let's get right into it. Um, the, the podcast, apparently you can, if you're a guy like me, just doing an independent podcast thing, you can submit your RSS, which is uh, abbreviation for really simple syndicate feed, an RSS feed. You can submit it to, um, iTunes and they'll host it for you if they approve it and I got my approval so live at you it's going to be called Garrett Anderson's live at you is on iTunes now so go search it and subscribe if uh, if you dig what you hear um, that's what I always say at gigs I'm like hey if you dig what you hear check out GarrettAndersonMusic.com that's kind of my spiel um, I, I want to be available but not forced on anybody I don't want to force myself down uh, down your throat I just want you to uh, to know that I'm here for you, and uh, if I can brighten your day a little bit, that makes me feel good. Um, all right, so uh, so yeah, the podcast, Garrett Anderson's Live At you is up on iTunes. Um, I kind of lucked into it um, because SoundCloud, where I've been hosting and, and where I put these up, um, has a feature where it, where it can generate that RSS feed. Um, so I kind of lucked into it, but what way to go SoundCloud, way to go iTunes for being simple enough for, um, a person like myself to, uh, to dive in and, and, uh, go down that rabbit hole and yeah, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. Really pumped about it though. Uh, I, I consider that a nice little, uh, a nice little step on the journey. Um, sorry about that. I just smacked my lips. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, I kind of, rant and rave and, and meander and have a little bit of stream of consciousness word vomit about my musical life and my life outside of music and, uh, you know, the country, current affairs, uh, whatever. Uh, so today should be a decent example of that. Uh, I've got a decent outline and I'm going to try to stick to it and get right into it. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, the other thing going on musically is I've sort of officially launched yard sales demo yards, sorry, yard sale demos, which is a playlist that I've got up on SoundCloud. That's a collection of original material that I think could be a landing place for someone who's interested in hearing my songwriting and um, particularly with the objective in mind of, of feeding these tunes to established artists and getting into the music licensing and music publishing songwriting world. So the idea is, uh, the image in my head is you're walking around a yard sale and uh, you know you didn't necessarily know you needed anything there, but, but you browse around and you, you go, oh yeah, that's cool, or you know, oh, I don't need that, but uh, oh yeah, well, maybe we'll, we'll pick this one up and, and take it home with us and give it a new life. So uh, that's that's kind of the image I have in my head about these songs. You know, we're just uh, doing a little yard sale demos with them. And uh, I think it showcases some versatility in my songwriting. Um, I've written a lot of songs over the years. Some of them stood the test of time better than others. And I've tried to sort of whittle a whittle them out a little bit and, and put uh, a pretty good foot forward in terms of my songwriting. And because, um, you know, I think one of my... Um, one of my assets is having so, somewhat of a unique voice in terms of the written word, and I hope that uh, I hope that's true. You know, when I think about why I'm so passionate about songwriting, one of the things that comes to mind is that for a day job, you know, a anybody could really do most day jobs, but if it's a creative endeavor or an artistic endeavor. I mean, granted, in most day jobs, you, you certainly put a personal stamp on it. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, shit on anybody else's uh, profession or their livelihood. But uh, I think most humans have an urge to be creative uh, to some degree. And I find that 
songwriting was the voice that kind of picked me um, or, or, you know, the, the outlet that I chose and that resonated with me and that I, I just can't seem to put down in a, in a good way um, to, to be creative. And, and I know that at the end of the day, wh whatever I created uh, musically is a product of, of all my influences and, and all my loved ones and all of my life up to that moment, you know, goes into that tune in some way, shape or form. And then from, from there, it's, it's really a unique creation that, that nobody else could have created but me. Um, uh, which is, which is, I think a really beautiful thing about any piece of art and something to be celebrated is that individualism, um, but it's individual and yet rooted in so much commonality, right? I think a lot of my writing has to do with, Hey, you're not alone, whatever you're feeling, you know, I can empathize or sympathize with it. And we are a community, e even if we feel fractured or even when we feel our most alone, we are still a community. Um, I heard humans described as porcupines once. It's like we we want to get together, but we're we're a little prickly. So sometimes we can get too close and kind of prick each other, but um, but we do want to get together. I, uh, does that make any sense? Porcupines, we like getting together, but not too close together, or else we'll prick each other. Um, all right. So yeah, um, the podcast is on iTunes and yard sales. God, why can't I say this? I should practice saying the thing. The, the playlist is called yard sale demos on SoundCloud. Um, so please check it out. I encourage everyone to give me feedback. That is the big um, shift in perspective and shift in um, sort of musical agenda. It's like whatever I do with the music career portion, I want it to be engaging and community oriented and um, receptive to feedback and encourage feedback. So by all means, um, if you if there's a tune that resonates with you, let me know. If, uh, if there's a tune that you're like, hey, man, I, I don't know about this one, you might want to remove this off the playlist. You know, I'll probably cry a little bit and then, uh, you know, try to be objective and, and open-minded and take your feedback for what it's worth. And, you know, I might say, Hey, piss off. This is my favorite tune, bro. Um, or depending upon the, the day or the, the week or the hell, probably even the hour of the day, I could be like, Oh, you're so right. Like, you know, that, that one's uh wishy-washy. Let's, let's get that one off there. And I don't know. I think that's okay. Um, the, the subjective nature of music is that it hits you different ways at different times. So the core belief behind yard sales, why, why can't I say that? Jesus, yard sale demos. The core belief behind it is that as I've been growing up in my relationship as a fan of music, certain songs hit you in the right spot at the right moment. And it's, it's like, it's like the universe has shuffle on and you're walking through the universe and picking songs and checking out artists and sometimes shuffle just hits it on the spot and you're like, Ooh, thank you universe. That is the song I needed to hear right now. So, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've been kind of describing it as, uh, whatever's, whatever's itching you, a song can scratch it, you know, like depending upon what, uh, the, the, the right song at the right time can be the perfect scratch for any itch. Um, man, I'm nervous. It's, it's kind of weird thinking that I'm trying to get people to listen to this. Let, oh, you know what I thought about? I should meditate really quick on like, who am I talking to right now? I should think about that. And then that would probably help me relax and get, and keep me motivated to, to, to do a good job. Part of why I do this is because it makes me uncomfortable. And, and that's also something I'm practicing is doing the, doing what's uncomfortable in the, in the pursuit of progress and in the pursuit of experience and the pursuit of growth. Uh, right. I think I've mentioned the stick figure that my wife and I talk about sometimes, uh, no, a cartoon of stick figures that we talk about sometimes where, um, uh, a stick figure labeled comfort and a stick figure labeled growth are sitting across the table from each other. And the speech bubble is, um, growth saying to comfort, Hey, this isn't going to work out. So, um, that that's the cartoon. I shouldn't say so. Um, that wasn't part of it. Uh, yeah. So growth says to comfort, this isn't working out and comfort sort of has its head like glumly, um, bent over and all right, let's plow ahead. Um, Trump speech last night. Okay. So 
my wife was like, hey, I think Trump is addressing Congress tonight. We should watch it, you know, because we're responsible adults and we need to know what's going on in our country. And while I I think there's a lot of value in limiting your information intake, it is good to, to kind of check in. And I wanted to check in. Once I did, I got to admit, I was pretty riveted. I was like, what is going on here? But um, it is serious. Uh, but I do want to take a moment to be lighthearted about some of it. Um, first of all, uh, the, the, with the camera angle of, of Trump, uh, President Trump giving a speech, it's funny that they have this tradition of the two guys sitting behind him, um, right? So we had uh, Vice President Pence and uh, the Speaker of the House, maybe, Paul Ryan. Um, forgive me if I got that mixed up. But uh, so, yeah, Pence and Ryan are sitting back there to his left and right. And it's just sort of a weird it's a weird thing that they have to go through in life is like sit behind this guy giving a speech on television, you know, the leader of the free world, so to speak. Although he did say, you know, America first. Um, so there may be some of that leader of the free world sort of uh, tone uh, be scaled back. Don't know how to feel about that. Probably pros and cons with everything. But um but yeah, so they have to sit there with and make the appropriate facial expressions, not fall asleep. I think there's probably been gaffes in the past, like, I don't know, somebody chewing gum or, you know, nodding off, um, but and knowing, you know, applauding at the right time. And yeah, I was wondering, do they do they trigger this, the applause, you know, most of the applause breaks and do they trigger most of the standing applauses or do they wait and see if other people standing applause and then they'll join depending upon the thing. But, um, but yeah, that was a weird thing too, is all, all the applause breaks, excuse me. Um, it was, it was just strange to look at from like an alien perspective. Like if I didn't know what was going on and who these people were and I watched this, what would I think? And the first thing I would notice is like, what are those two guys doing behind them? Like, <laughs> you know, they're just sitting there the whole time. Um, you know, God forbid one of them needs to take a bathroom break or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, they did a pretty good job of, you know, looking serious when they needed to. And, um, it was just funny. Like you had nodding in, in agreement. Yes. We, we are in agreement on that. Yes. Nodding, nodding seriously. I think Pence, I think his face probably gained three wrinkles while he was doing that. So his brow was furrowed the whole time. He's yes. Serious nod, serious nodding. Yes. Yes. Well done, Mr. President. And, uh, yeah, the sort of civil cordiality of it all. Um, but, uh, <sighs> And then uh, the the one, day, so we turned it on a little bit late. We didn't see the whole thing. The piece that I happened to turn it on was the military budget piece where he's like, you know, we're going to, you know, I've, I've got a budget. This is President Trump saying, I've got a budget that is going to increase the military budget and bring back, you know, the primacy of our military might. And uh, there was a couple, a couple, um, you know, cheers and applause breaks and things. And, and then he I think he overdid it on that one. I think he, he got the applause he needed and then went one step too far. And people were like, uh, I think it was like after a really big applause, he was like, and we'll show that it was the greatest increase in military spending in history. And people were just kind of like, uh, okay, okay, right. Oh, we're still going on that. Cause we just gave you a really big applause for, um, you know, the, the military budget. And then he was like, the biggest in history. So there's this theme with him, as I'm sure I'm not pointing out anything new, but that like egomaniacal theme where he's like, we're going to break the record. You know, it's going to be the most, the, the record increase in spending in military sur or budget. I was like, okay, what are we spending that on? How, do, how, much, how much comes out of my taxes? What are, what are we doing there? What's our presence where? What are we trying to do? I mean, granted, nation security is, is important. But I'm kind of living in this discomfort of thinking that, yeah, borders and nations are important versus like it, it is kind of approaching like that global, global together connected society thing. Like maybe we could all pitch in and all look out for each other. I don't know. Is it like nations like and then, yeah, later on when they were talking about I was, you know, watching some of the analysis and um. Oh no, it wasn't, it wasn't like talking head analysis, like the news anchor guys. It was the rebuttal, the democratic rebuttal afterwards was talking about, um, you know, and, and Mr. President, I'm afraid, you know, these last few weeks you've 
tip, you know, tipped your hand at your agenda, and we're very deeply concerned about your ties with Russia, who is not a friend. And uh, and while you're uh, marginalizing the friends and allies that we do have, and I was like, this is so fucked. Like listening to people describe countries as friends or or foes, it just seems like an outmoded way of thinking. Um, and maybe that's the hippy dippy liberal piece of me, but I mean, frankly, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why we can't transcend past that. Um, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast where he had, um, an ex like CIA guy who now runs a consulting company for security. Um, but like a really tapped in, you know, in the know hawkish, you know, sort of, he can justify all that, you know, hawkish military stuff because he's seen how ugly the world is right and how necessary it is to do what we've got to do we've got we've got intelligence we've got counterintelligence we got to figure out what they're trying to tap into and prevent that and we've got to have spies in their shit so that we've you know like it's it's murky and gross and and power play and assassinations and you know crazy shit does happen with nation states with nation states, but I feel like because of the internet and, uh, and global connectivity that we can kind of evolve out of that. I think that's the direction we could go, um, arguably whether we should or not. Um, I think it's probably being held up by people who it's in their financial interest to not have it happen. But, um, you know, granted it's a complex world and complex problems and you can't just you know, overthrow governments and be like, hey, you know, we're doing it this way now. Um, or can you? I don't know. But uh, but yeah, this this guest that Rogan had on uh, the CIA guy was talking about, well, you know, you know, yeah, at the it's nice to talk about compromise and it's nice to talk about diplomacy. But at the end of the day, they're not our friends because our interests don't align. And I really wanted Rogan to press him on what do you mean our interests Right? Are we talking about energy, like oil? Are we talking about security, like people having big armies and, and enforcing one rule of law over another? What are we talking about here? What interests? I really wanted him to push him on that, on that notion because I think that is you know, part of that outmoded way of thinking is what is your interest here? Um, and why do our interests collide in a way that is irreparable um, to, to the point that we need to maintain militaries and, and have, um, you know, military might in order to defend ourselves. Um, granted, I think we've got a long way to go. I think if people had as much, uh, as, as privileged of an upbringing and as much free time and as much fun with, um, you know, mental exploration on, on this sort of stuff, uh, that they might, um, you know, it, it, it could happen quicker. Um, then again, I don't even know if it's worth, if it's, if it's meaningful. So I was thinking about it this way. It's like, if we didn't have any countries, if we were all just the United, the, the United world, for instance, would we miss some of the tradition that comes with having countries? And I was like, well, wait a second. In America, we've got like, you know, Chinatown and Germantown and, you know, like these little pockets of tradition. I was like, tradition can be maintained without necessarily the borders and some of the, you know, I guess we would fight over homelands, you know, hey, get out of my country. I don't know. It's pretty complex. It's pretty fucked. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was like, well, what does he mean the interests are, are not aligned? Is it who's going to take over the Arctic first? Uh, you know, this military positioning and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, if you can paradigm shift out of that, I think it really opens up a world of possibilities. But like, yeah, I mean, that that may be what we need right now. Oh, Jack's trying to come in. He's coming into the studio here. Come here, Jack. Come here, buddy. And by studio, I mean the guest bedroom in my family's rental home. Um, so, yeah, that's my little rant on uh, geopolitics for now. Uh, I, I don't I don't know as much as I would like to, but, but maybe if I knew more, I'd be even more scared. Ah! I don't know. I'll leave that to the super smart people that like doing that sort of stuff. And I'll try to keep doing the stuff that I like doing with, uh, with a genuine, um, uh, mentality of service trying to brighten your day. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know, just food for thought. What do you think? I don't know. Global world order. Is it terrifying? Would it completely 
would it, would we all become, you know, just people walking around in gray suits? Um, and, uh, you know, big brother style, I don't know, 1984 style. I don't know. That could be bad. But then, so the thing about, you know, can we have some tribalism within a general overarching community? I think you can look at, uh, look at sports teams, right? We're all, I'm in America and I root for the Baltimore Ravens and the Maryland Terps, uh, who got some basketball mojo back last night. They beat Rutgers and, uh, I think they had a bunch of people in, in double figures or like really good team, team balanced scoring. Trimble only had to have like 11 points or so. And uh, the rest of everybody was contributing. They were finding ways to score on Rutgers, which was positive after a skid of, I think, losing five out of seven. But uh, I'm all in on the Terps this year. I really like rooting for those guys. So I've been trying to watch that. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, we root for different sports teams within the same country. Can't that kind of be the same the same model for like, oh yeah, these are like the Jewish traditions and these are the Muslim traditions and these are the, you know, you know, pick, pick your, pick your tradition. I don't know. I don't, I don't, if, if, and then the classic thing is like, if it's not bothering somebody else, then no big deal. But I don't know. We got some, we got some modern modes of thinking colliding with some, uh, some, some older modes of thinking. And it's a strange time, strange time to be living in. And, you know, having President Trump is a strange president to have at this time because he's got, he, you know, he is talking about sort of America first rhetoric and, and uh, you know, it's just that, that sort of pendulum swing of, of uh, back to nationalism, uh, you know, Britain with the Brexit and, and, and uh, you know, President Trump getting elected. But I don't know, I'm talking out of my ass here. Um, it felt important to bring up. I don't know why, but, uh, oh, so the military budget thing. And so he didn't get the big applause for, and we're going to break the record, but then he moved on and, uh, they did the, they did the very touching, um, tribute to, uh, the, the soldier who, you know, the, the widow of the soldier who, who died in the raid in Yemen, which I don't know much about. I just know that we lost a serviceman, uh, serviceman and, uh, possibly a Marine. I'm not sure. But, um, and they had the wife, the widow there as the guest of honor. And, you know, he appealed to her and and pointed her out. And there was a really long applause. Um, It was very touching. You know, people were tearing up and, you know, President Trump was delivering the speech. Great. Like he, he was, that, that's all the talk of the news and stuff today is like, Hey, he seemed very presidential. Um, you know, short on substance and the same shit he's been saying the whole time. But man, did he say it with a new tone? That was the big takeaway today. I was like, okay, well, what the fuck does that matter? Why do we do that? Um, but so this is a hard thing to talk about because that's like the unspoken thing that you have to. You, you, even I think even Democrats stood up and applauded that. You know, like, but it did go on for quite a while, and it did feel a little pandering. Um, you know, I. I I hate to say that, but it did feel to me a little bit pandering. It was beautiful. Um, and if you are not a cynical asshole like me, you might just take the good from it. But part of me was like, man, this is it's going on for a long time. They still, cl-. I was like, is this like, is the, is the, is the news feed stuck in like a loop? Is this, is there's still, cl- okay, no, no, that's okay. She did something different there. And like the cameras on this woman and I guess God bless her. And I I feel really bad for her loss, but you know, she's getting like the biggest applause ever, but it wasn't just for her and for him. It was for military service personnel and anybody who's laid down their life life for this country because because of those old modes of thinking. And because we do live in this world where we have to engage militarily and, and, and uh, you know, it is a, a muddy murky world out there. It's weird. As I'm talking about this, I'm looking at this painting on my wall of a lion. Um, this is the painting that I used for my within and around CD. And uh, the reds and the yellows are jumping out at me more right now than the blues and the and the lighter tones. It's like talking about government and military and stuff. I'm like, see, and, you know, fallen soldiers. I'm, all the red is jumping out at me right now. It's really trippy. Whoa, that's weird. Oh, my God. Okay, I can't look at this lion anymore. Oh, excuse me. So this applause is going on and on. And I'm like, wait, 
like it reminded me a little bit of um, that scene in the movie Speed with Keanu Reeves at the end when they figure out how the bomber guy played by um what Dennis Hopper um they figured out how he was watching them through the um the video feed and they figured out a way to just loop a, f- a piece of their footage and then play it over and over again and I was like is that what they're doing here cuz it went on for so long and then like it was very touching and president trump like the fi- finally it died down i was like man that was really long it was really really long like it was worth it i guess but like it was really really long um you know i felt like maybe everybody had escaped out of the bottom of the government building um you know on a little skateboard and slid off to the side like in speed um how they get everybody off uh off the bus Oh man, um, that was dumb. I, I really don't mean any disrespect, but that's that's what I thought. Um, and uh, and then Trump, like, in my mind, kind of ruins the moment because I think he said something about like, and that's the record, you know. And he he mentioned something about a record, you know, referring to that applause. I think, and I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, it was already it was already long and awkward. Like, you don't need to to make it even more awkward and more about yourself, you know? It's like, come on, man. So that was, that was strange, but uh, I guess a beautiful moment. I don't know. Uh, again, I'm, I'm probably overthinking things and a little too cynical to, to be the right judge for what that moment was. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was touching. Um, I, I don't know. I'll just keep talking myself in circles about that one. But, uh, and it was kind of like, so this really long applause, it reminded me of... Um, John Oliver did a bit on Donald Trump's really long and awkward handshakes and how Donald Trump doesn't really know how to smoothly shake a hand. And he does these really long, really, you know, power businessman, aggressive shakes, and then he'll like tap the hand a little bit, um, with, with other like dignitaries and foreign leaders. And I don't know what dignitaries mean. I just know that you say it when you say foreign leaders. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, I was like, okay, so he's, 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 he's down with long, awkward handshakes and, and long, awkward applauses. Um, and, uh, and then like the, you know, the Democrats have to stand up for that, right? You, you can't not stand up for that. Um, and, but then the, like pick, so did the Democrats have to meet up before and be like, okay guys, here's what we're going to stand for. Here's what we're going to clap for. Here's what we're just going to sit and sit on our hands for, you know, do they, do they come up with that together? Is it all kind of by the fly? Um, are they looking around at each other? I swear, I thought I saw Al Franken like noticing when other Democrats were standing up for shit and, and applauding and standing ovations. Um, and, and he was like, come on, man. Like I'm, I'm thinking in my head, he's taking a note that that guy stood for that. And he's like, you know, come on, dude, we're supposed to be sitting during this part. You fucked up. You know, it's like a flash mob. It's like the Democrats had to arrange their own little flash mob before they got out there to do it. But, uh, yeah, Al Franken, man, that guy's, he's just chilling. He's just leaning back. He's got his arm up. He's watching. He's like, oh my God. You know, he's, he sees the circus for what it is, I think. And he's chosen a life of, of public service, uh, because he, I think he can make a, a positive difference. So, uh, so yeah, Franken's sitting there not, not wanting to applaud and stand up for stuff. And then of course the media and, and ever, you know, the public is going to react to how people reacted to different shit. Um, and, uh, I just got scared that I might get grief for what I said, but, oh, well, um, I don't think I will because I think this only goes out to people that love me and they understand where I'm coming from to some degree. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. It was weird watching that speech. It just kind of threw me back into adult mode and like reality today mode. Whereas I like to kind of spend my head in like potential mode like the potential of the universe and like happy stories and pleasant things but uh, you know life has a way of reminding you that that life is going on um and uh so my little daughter was sitting there watching it with us and she heard some you know one of the announcers say something about democrats and and she goes she's seven first grade she goes oh democrats that's hillary clinton's team i was like oh you've been paying attention like i knew she knew the candidates because of the uh the uh the election um you know they covered it in their class and they talked a little bit about each uh, candidate presidential candidate so she learned a little bit about trump and a little bit about clinton um and she and then she goes dad where did hillary clinton go 
And I was like, hey, that's a great question. I was like, oh, she's 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 paying attention, which was also weird. I almost was like, when when my wife said, hey, let's turn on the speech, I was like, should should we turn on the speech in front of our kids? Like, based on what I've seen at this guy's campaign rallies, I don't know if like, do we need to like DVR it and then watch it ourselves and decide if it's if it's appropriate for our kids? Um, like I did with uh, that was part of why I went to Rogue One by myself because I was like, I don't, it's PG thirteen, I don't think my kids are gonna dig on this one it's probably too scary I even the force awakens was probably too scary for my kids tried to watch it with them a little bit and my, my older one my, my younger one would have been fine with with all the violence and stuff my older one got a little freaked out so uh but anyway um so yeah emma's talking about uh, the democrats and, and hillary clinton's team and i thought it was funny that she called it a team um and then uh uh, speaking of presidents, I noticed on the Today Show the other day that George Bush was on, on the Today Show. Uh, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush. Wait, wait, wait no, no, George W. Bush. Sorry, got that mixed up for a second. I was thinking like previous president, George W. Bush, um, and went too far back. I had to scooch that one back forward a little bit. Um, so George W. Bush, and then they were showing his... Um, his uh his paintings his portraits he was on there like hawking a, a, a book of portraits of like people that he worked with in the government and in his life and stuff it's like this is really interesting it's interesting times to have such um such an interesting presidential situation and then the previous one george w who you know used to be like considered among like you know pop culture to be somewhat of of a goofy uh you know um, silly, not, not so smart kind of guy. And now he's, he's on the today show showing off his book of paintings of portraits. And I was, I was like, what is, what is going on in the world? Like former presidents now they do this. So I was noticing he, so yeah, George W. Bush was, was hawking his self portraits on the today show. And, uh, Barack Obama is posting f photos of him raging out in Hawaii. Like, doing kite surfing with Richard Branson and stuff. I'm like, so this is, this is a new thing, right? Healthcare has gotten good enough that we live long enough and that presidents have like this long life after their presidency. I don't know if that was always the case, or maybe it's just the case that now we can keep better track of them. And they're like public figures in the public eye, no matter what, after their presidency. And if you're young enough, you're going to live a, a while after your presidency. So, you know, we've gotten to see the last couple. Let's see here. Back to... I guess Carter lived a while after. Even Ford lived a while after. But were they like kite surfing in Hawaii and, and showing off books of portraits? Maybe. Maybe I just wasn't around to see it or didn't pay attention to it. Um, combination of both, depending upon what time you're talking about, which president you're talking about. But uh, it just crossed my mind. I was like, man, this, this is a weird job to be retired from. You know, like how... Obama looks like he's relieved. He's like, all right, I'm going to kite surf. And uh, George W., he just looks like he's like, all right, what are we doing next? Um, the Today Show is funny because they they had a segment for, you know, former President George W. Bush. And it, it, to promo the segment at the end of the previous segment, they're like, and coming up is George W. Bush. He's going to sit down with us and tell us all about his paintings. And he's standing there, right? They've got the camera on him. He's probably a little X on the floor. He's like, okay, stand here. Okay, light is good. Makeup's good. Okay, let's go. And three, two, one, where the camera's on you. And then you're just supposed to stand there and smile for like, again, awkwardly long. That's, I guess that's going to be a theme of this podcast, which is probably also turning awkwardly long. Um, so yeah, George W. Bush just standing there, smiling a little bit, you know, uh, all right. Is this still going? Okay. We're still smiling. Still smiling. Okay. You got to like find that perfect balance of not moving your face too much, but not moving it. Not enough. Uh, you know, it's like, how do you look natural? Um, speaking of which, uh, I do have an Instagram account, G Anderson music. Um, I think that's what it is. G Anderson music. I'm going to pick up my phone. This is fun to do this standing up. I'm like almost out of breath a little bit from that last little bit. A little bit, little bit, little bit. Okay. So my post, I said, yeah, G. Anderson Music on Instagram, if you're interested. I said, face yoga, limbering up to record a live at your podcast. Should be posted by tomorrow and should be available on iTunes now. Last call for questions. 
smiley face. Hashtag gam, hashtag silly, hashtag actually feels good, hashtag no really, hashtag try it. And then my sister commented, unique New York. The human torch was denied a bank loan. So uh, yeah, if you're on uh, Instagram, feel free to hop over there and give a follow and say what's up. Um, Okay, Rogue One. We're going to shift gears here. I went and saw Rogue One the other day because I had several people in my life that I really respect went and saw the movie and then came back and didn't say much about it, but they said, the force is with me. I am one with the force. The force is with me. I am with the force. You know, and I was like, wait, what, what is this? Why are people saying that? What is that? What is it? What is this? Rogue One. I'm, um, I'm a little too busy with family life and, and day job and frankly being self-absorbed with this whole music adventure. And so I don't make much time to do like pop culture stuff all the time. But this one I was intrigued about. I really like The Force Awakens. I'm a little bit of a Star Wars nerd. Um, and uh, But not so much that I know like everybody's name and all the planets and stuff. And But I did want to see Rogue One. I was like, wait, what are they doing here? At first I was a little cynical. I was like, oh, Jesus. This, can't, can't they just let it be good? You know, just let it lie. Retain, you know, you're not going to get better than Empire and Return of the Jedi. So just just let it lie. Um, but I really, really do. I like the revamp. I like this modern approach with The Force Awakens and with Rogue One. I think it's really, really good. Um, and yeah, so people were saying The Force is with me. I'm one with The Force. Uh, you know, so my brother-in-law put it in a text message. Um, both of my brothers-in-laws uh, made me want to go see it because I was like, well, shit, when I see them, I want to be able to talk about Rogue One with them. And then I was also like, as a fan, um, and as a movie goer, I was like, I want to catch it in the theater, but I had let a lot of time go by. So by the time I looked it up, it was playing in two theaters and, uh, in Arizona near me. And I, l- I looked at it and one was, um, well, at least two theaters of this particular company. Um, Harkins is the theater company out here. And, uh, there was one that was like four hours away and one that was a half hour away. I was like, you know what? It's a Sunday night. I don't have much going on. I'm going to go watch this. I'm going to go drive a half hour to go watch Rogue One by myself on a Sunday night because I have to go see it in theater. And uh, it was one of those things where, you know, talking earlier about music scratching itches, this was an itch that I had to scratch. I was like, shit, I got to go see Rogue One in the theater. Or, you know, what kind of fan am I if I don't? So I I actually put on my little, uh, my shirt that has Darth Vader on it. And uh, got in the car and, and drove half an hour. So listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson on Joe Rogan's podcast, actually, on that drive. And uh, and uh, got to the theater, um, hung out a little bit. I, got, you know, I was a little bit early, got in, uh, got my seat. Um, well, actually, before I got in and got my seat, I went to the bathroom, right? I'd dri- driven for a while, had a tea on the way over, so I would have a little, you know, stay awake um, for the movie and um in case it was a snoozer and which i didn't think it was going to be but you know i wanted to go to the bathroom and it was one of these one of these places and moments and, and times where people were just meandering around the restroom and i was like walking and like normally i don't mind if you're meandering but like if i'm trying to get to accomplish something like don't meander around the spot where I'm trying to go accomplish something like, and you obviously know the restroom is like this guy literally like took a couple steps toward toward the bathroom and cut me off and then decided no I don't have to go to the bathroom and turned around and walked away and, like I almost bumped into him I was like whoa I was like is that is that what being older is like maybe you don't know if you have to go to the bathroom I mean I feel like I'm having to go more and more often I, I've always felt like I had a tiny bladder and I get nervous a lot so I, I have nervous pisses a lot so I think that that bumps up the frequency count but uh yeah so why why were multiple people kind of got in my way and we're just milling about meandering around the restroom now granted we were in a theater so there was plenty of space to meander around i think they should have diffused a little bit further away from the restroom where people are trying to go in and out right i mean i don't know there's there's places for meandering and there's places for you know either getting to do what you got to do or getting out of the way and uh yeah I don't know. Um, so I go to the bathroom and I've been meaning to bring this up on the podcast. I really, really despise when I find gum in the urinal, the men's urinal, right? So you got the urinal 
um, the little, you know, catch guard plasticky thing that keeps trash and stuff from going into the urinal pipes. And, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll find some gum there. It just bums me out. I'm like, what? You know, there, you're in a place where you know there's a trash can, just a little bit, you know, there, there's always a trash can in a restroom. You could always spit it out in the trash can. Um, and then for, furthermore, you're not thinking it through. Guy who's spitting his gum into the urinal, who do you think has to clean that up? There's some janitor guy or gal that comes through and has to scoop your, your gum out. And how gross is that? It's really gross, right? Uh, why would you make someone do that? So it's, it's not just, it's, you were chewing that, and then you spit it, and then you pissed on it, and you expect someone else to pick it up. I just think that's fucked up. You know, if, you, if you're not thinking uh, a couple steps ahead, you got to play a little chess in life, a little courtesy chess. Um, ah, man, that really drives me nuts. And then let alone if it's just trash. You know, what is it? I, I could see maybe, you know, you've had a couple cocktails, you go to the bathroom, you're, you're pissing, you realize, man, like, I've been chewing on this gum for a while, it doesn't taste so good anymore, I'm just going to spit it out right here because I can, all right, whatever. But what, how, where's trash coming from? Have you ever seen trash in a urinal? It's, 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 that, that one really gets me going. I get really mad about that one. Is that's like a, you had to, you had, what were you going through your pockets and found some old receipts that you didn't need or some old tissues that you were done? You, and it's like, don't, and don't put toilet paper in this. That's not what it's for. It's like, use it the way it's supposed to be used. There's a trash can over there. Use that for what it's supposed to be used for. Let's keep it moving. Let's not make it too difficult. Um, I, I, I'm imagining like an MBA guy, um, a like business guy being like, well, you know, what's the harm in that? You know, you're, you're creating a little extra work for the janitor, right? There's like a structural institutionalism sort of approach to this where you're like, well, everything serves a purpose. Even if you're being a, you know, kind of littering, someone else is getting a job to go clean that up. So I don't know. I feel like that's the scary thing about business and bottom lines and things is like you can you can justify away a lot <laughs> if you think about it in those terms. Structural functionalism. I think that's what the sociology term is called. Um, I got my sociology degree from Maryland. Go Terps. And uh, think about those concepts every once in a while. Um, so that was the gum in the urinal. Um, Oh, the other thing, sometimes I'll go into the bathroom at work and find shredded up toilet paper next to the toilet. What is that? How, how does that happen? Uh, the only time I could see it happening is if you got a new roll and you can't quite find the edge and you need to use your finger to sort of like start cutting into the, to the toilet paper to find the new edge. And then you, sometimes you just have to create your own new edge. You pull it out and then the piece that was supposed to be the edge just falls off as a tiny little square. And then you're like, okay, well, fine. I got it started. You waste a little bit, but... I mean, if I do that and if I make a mess on the floor, I'll pick it up, throw it in, in the trash, uh, throw it in the toilet. I don't know. This, why, why make the guy who are, his job is already cleaning toilets, his or her job is already cleaning toilets, don't make it any worse for him, right? Uh, I don't know. Or the overflowing bin of, uh, of uh, you know, paper towels after you to dry your hands, you know? Is it, is it really that scary to push a trash bin full of, I, I guess it is kind of gross. You don't want to be pushing a trash bin full of, um, paper towels down to fit more in, but that, that also seems a little inexcusable. Use your, use your paper towel that you're about to throw away as a little buffer between your hand and the rest of the, I mean, it's mostly paper towels. I mean, yeah, God forbid there could be a syringe in there or something that you wouldn't want to touch that'd be fucked. Like, what are the chances of that? So yeah, just push it down a little bit. I don't know if you have to use your elbow maybe, or if it's low to the ground, use your foot, stomp it in a little bit, make some space in the trash can and then throw your, your shit away. Don't put it on top of a pile, like, uh, you know, like a Jenga tower and it's just going to come crashing down and end up on the floor. I hate bathroom messes. It's already a disgusting place. We don't need to make it any more disgusting. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I did get to go sit down and actually watch this movie, Rogue One, and it was great. I, I liked it so much. I thought it was so, so good. It was fun to be in the Star Wars universe, but frankly, it seemed like a war movie. 
that just so happened to take place in the Star Wars universe. And the the way that they talked about the Force was so cool. And I can totally see why people were going, the Force is with me, I'm one with the Force. The Force is with me, I'm one with the Force. Uh, I get it now. And I was so glad. And I was like, man, that was fucking cool. Like, no wonder people were saying that. I, I really, really dug it. Um, it was a little dark, you know, and uh, the beginning with like a little girl being in danger and having to run away as a dad of little girls. I was like, oh, this hits me differently now that I'm a dad. Oh, shit. Like that, that makes me, mm, that's uncomfortable. Um, also, also maybe a little bit pandering, right? In terms of storytelling. But, uh, you know, get, get the child involved and, then, oh, your emotional heartstrings are right there. You know, first scene in the movie, it's like, what's going to happen to this kid? God forbid, this kid. Um, but, like, super duper cool take on the alliance versus the empire, right? The rebels or the resistance or they had a line in there, whatever you're calling yourself these days. I thought that was clever. Um, they, they did a really fantastic job of making that very grown up and very, you know, very dramatic. You know, if some guy comes to you with a piece of intel, like, so there's that pilot guy that comes to them with this piece of intel saying, this is a message from one of the scientists over here. Um, you're not going to know whether to trust him because he, he was just flying for the empire and you don't know if he's a spy or a double spy or what. So you got to put a bag over his head and bring him in front of you and, and try to scare the shit out of him and use this weird mutant monster thing that makes him tell the truth and maybe scrambles his brains a little bit until uh, the other character. I don't know any of these characters names. They're too, they're too fresh for me. I'm going to have to watch it again. But then the other guy's like, you're the pilot. You are the pilot. And he was like, I'm the pilot. And then he remembered. I was like, oh, that's a cool scene. Um, yeah. So this cool little ad adult grown up version of. You know, speaking of world geopolitics and stuff, yeah, the resistance versus the empire. Um, yeah, I didn't expect that to be a like sort of a thread through the podcast, but I guess it does kind of tie in. That's like, you know, you have to do what you feel is right and you have to act on it was the point of the point of the movie um, and the point of the story. And I guess that's always what's so enduring about the force and about those stories. Um, I talk about... Uh, Jordan Peterson on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about meta narratives and religious narratives. And like the one true story is light versus darkness, good versus evil, doing the right thing, doing the, the thing against all odds, right? The, the rebellion, the alliance, they had very little odds of success, but it was their only choice because it was the right thing to do. Um, you know, uh, and that's, that's, that's the only story that really ever matters. All my songs are just, you know, variations and little nuances on top of like the one big story, which is light and dark, um, the force and, and the dark side. Right. Or or even just the light side and the dark side of the force. Right. Because they, they, they admit that that's just the life force and you have to make a choice which one you're going to live with. Um, and uh, I thought it was great. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Thought it was great. What else about the movie? I mean, really sad, too. The characters, not very many make it out alive. Spoiler alert. Um, I was like, I was devastated by that at the end of the movie. I was like, fuck, no! And then, and then I was reminding myself, I was like, oh, yeah, Luke and, like, Leia and Han Solo and all these other characters that are beloved from, you know, episode, I guess, four, is it? Um, nerd alert, nerd alert. Um you know, that, that those, all those characters are running around. And I think they did, they did show that they showed like that kind of mutant face looked looking guy and, uh, his hairy mustachioed brethren that, I don't know, that, that are in the bar when Han Solo meets Luke or something. I don't know. It's getting a little fuzzy. Um, but they show those guys in one of the alleyways on one of the, the worlds where they stop. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. That's really neat. Um, and yeah, all the, the, inf the, the politics of it and the power dynamics and the self-sacrifice. There was so much self-sacrifice in that movie. I think that's part, part of the narrative too, is like, that's the Christ narrative, right? That like you, you have to be willing to give of yourself to a greater cause. And that's the most beautiful, most powerful thing in the world. Um, yeah, the force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm forces with me. I am one with the force. 
Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed that character too. The, the guys that were like the Jedi's that were keeping the Jedi tradition alive was so cool. After the Jedi temple was destroyed, like, Ooh, it was so cool. Um, Hmm. Yeah. I could keep going, but I got the gist of it and I actually ended up at sort of a more, more powerful, profound spot than I thought I was going to. I was going to talk about the CGI of general, uh, what is it? Fran Tarkington general, uh, or governor Tarkington, governor, governor Tarkin, uh, that guy, you know, they made some characters that were around for episode four. Look, look like themselves, including Leia, which was fucking nuts. Spoiler alert. Um, and I was, I was going to talk about like the CGI and like, Oh, I eventually got used to it and it looked weird at first, but then, you know, I just kind of bought in and suspension of disbelief. And I thought it was great. And it's neat. But, uh, no, they did actually, they did do a good job with that stuff too. Tying together the new with the old was fantastic. So yeah, thinking that those other characters are running around and they've got, this was the mission to get the plans for the Death Star. And that's where the whole, the the whole story started. It's like this weird circle where I was like, wait, we're back where we began at the end of it. And it made me love Star Wars even more. So I, I really appreciate this addition to, to the movies. Um, and, uh, it, it helps me sort of. Uh, I feel like it's a bit of redemption for Jar Jar Binks. Um, all right. So I, uh, quick update. I was talking about tiny desk last time they've announced the winner. I was, I was in the car going to work and they were coming home. Don't remember. And they had one of the NPR guys. And then one of the judges who was apparently Trey Anastasio from fish. I was like, Oh no shit. Trey. So Trey was on NPR talking about the winning submission for NPR Tiny Desk, um, a group called, I've got it here, something in the bangers, the bangers, Tiny Desk update. Oh, it's in my phone. Oh, this so little disorganized. I've got live at you ideas in three different places. My notebook, um, my, uh, my notes pages thing on my Mac, on my computer. And then also on my phone. So I am a little discombobulated with these live action outline and brainstorming ideas and stuff. Because um, nobody's submitting any questions. Oh, my mom did submit a question. I got to answer her later. Um, oh, Tank and the Bangas was the winner of the Tiny Desk concert. So way to go, Tank and the Bangas. Their song sounded cool. They were from New Orleans. They kind of had like some funk and hip hop going on. And uh, Trey was gushing about the energy of the lead singer, Tank, um, and uh, saying that, that the whole group just had great energy and it was a cool, cool video. So congrats and, and maybe I'll put a submission in for next year. We'll see. Although, you know, I don't know. That, that makes me nervous. It seems like a long shot, but hey, that's pretty cool. Long shots happen. They happen for Tank and the Bangas. If they didn't submit, they wouldn't have won. Somebody's got to win. Although that's the same mentality that you hear people talk about with the lottery. It's like, hey, somebody's got to win. It's like, no, no. But some people do win. But, uh, yeah, it all depends on the numbers. I, I, I personally don't play much lottery. But I will play a little roulette. Um, so, yeah, Tank and the Bangas. Way to go. Tiny Desk. Um, the Nam Girl. Emily Angel, I talked about her last time too, exchanged a couple messages and then I, I reached out to her about something. Um, and uh, I hope I didn't turn her off by being cynical, but I was like checking on a third resource thing that I think she has been exposed to as well. Maybe not. Maybe I was assuming that, but the Facebook gave me the impression that she was, was part of this thing. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to talk shit about um what's what's going on and and it's not warranted shit yet but I was trying to vet it you know it was like hey there's this opportunity for independent musicians and I'm curious what I could learn from it but I also want to get a little you know vetting from peers and and from contemporaries and I so I reached out to Emily the girl from Nam that I bumped into in Anaheim when I was there for Disney the other couple weeks ago and uh my, my wife is dancing I just danced back. What are you singing? Huh. <laughs> oh, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Okay. That was entertaining. Um, she just did a little dance. This is like I'm looking out the guest bedroom. She did a little dance. And my daughter's walking around without a shirt on and holding a balloon. All right. I got to wrap this up so I can go hang out with them. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? 
Oh, the damn girl. Right. So North American Music Merchants Conference bumped into her, wanted to keep in touch. So I said, hey, you know, this is a kind of an easy thing to keep in touch about. I said, hey, have you checked out this? Um, you know, it's like a music resource thing. We'll, we'll just call it that for now. And I said, you know, it seems kind of spammy to me. So I wanted to see if you checked it out and if you thought it was valuable or if you thought it was a money grab. And she hasn't responded. I was like, oh, shit, I hope I didn't turn her off. So, Emily, if you listen to this, um, I hope I hope I'm not too cynical for you. Um, I apologize if that was bringing some negativity, negativity and harsh in your buzz. Uh, but I was just genuinely curious and genuinely want to engage. And, and, uh, I hope you don't, um, I hope that didn't bother you. I always want to, I never want to bring people down. I always want to kind of in my interactions with them, always kind of want to leave them, leave them wanting to kind of team up on some stuff naturally. And now the little one is helping with some laundry, I think. Now she's got a laundry basket. Cool. Um, all right, so two more quick things. I picked up... Uh, oh, okay, so on Spotify, if you want a little recommendation, I've been listening to some Cody Jinx. Uh, J-I-N-K-S. Cody Jinx is uh, this dude's name. And he came up on my Facebook feed, checked out a video, looked really cool. He's like, he's in that modern revival of old school country. Uh, I would put him, he's like a kind of a more straightforward Sturgill Simpson is what I would say. So check out Cody Jinx. He sounded like he had some good tunes and some like experiential, experientially informed tunes. So check out Cody Jinx if you like that uh, old timey country sound, but with a modern twist, really, really dug it. And then to wrap up here, um, I picked up a book called Bumping Into Geniuses by Danny Goldberg. It's called Bumping Into Geniuses, My Life Inside the Rock and Roll Business. wanted to end with a passage that I read today. Um, so he's, he's, he's uh, who is this guy? Who's Danny Goldberg? Um, he's been in the music biz. He started as a music writer, like a music critic, PR person, personnel manager. He, um, his clients included Nirvana and Bonnie Raitt. He was president of three major record companies, Atlantic, Warner Brothers, and Mercury. He currently runs Gold Village Entertainment and is the author of How the Left Lost Teen Spirit. Um, that's that's from the, the jacket cover. But uh, j- even just within the first chapter, I'm like, ooh, this guy has some perspective, and I'm going to read these stories and kind of just revel in the glory age of rock and, and just how music shifts over time and listen to this guy's stories and and uh, try to absorb what I can from it. And part of what I'm absorbing is that I'm not alone in my insecurities and my struggle with, you know, the art meets business mode. Like this is that this is not unique to me. And in a weird way, it's very comforting. And in a weird way, I think it aligns with why I do it in the first place is to try to make sure people don't feel alone. Um, and there's a passage about that. Where was that passage? Hmm, sorry, just a sec. I should have put a sticky note in there. Um, so, believe it or not, this is actually a second take of this podcast because I just spent a long time thumbing through this book trying to find this passage. And uh, it may be comical, but I felt like it would be disrespectful not to overdub it because I was looking for a really long time and couldn't find it. So anyway, here's this passage about not feeling alone. Um, if a stud like Mick Jagger could complain that he could get no satisfaction, it meant that it was okay if I didn't. If John Lennon could sing In My Life, it was safe to express emotion. If a genius like Bob Dylan could feel betrayed by a friend as expressed in Positively Fourth Street, it meant that I was not looser. I was not loser. It meant that I was not loser is how it's written. But I wonder if it was supposed to be. It meant that I was not a loser. If Greenwich Village hipsters like the loving Spoonfill could believe that rock and roll had the magic that can set you free, I was not naive. If rock and roll could somehow express the complex mix of deeply personal, sexual, political, and spiritual feelings banging around my teenage head and simultaneously have a similar resonance with millions of others... I was not alone. And then I really like how he sums it up here with a little metaphor. He goes, to listen to these records was like coming indoors out of the freezing cold and holding my numb finger near the radiator, feeling at the same time both pain and relief. How's that for some cool writing, right? And then this other passage 
that really resonated with me. Um, here we go. Um, okay, so he says, I wanted to somehow keep faith with the emotions that had attracted me to rock and roll and the hippie counterculture in the first place, and at the same time figure out how to make as much money as possible. This mirrored the agenda of most artists I would work with to maintain their artistic artistic control and integrity and also to reach as many people as they could and get rewarded for success. Like many musicians I met, I wanted desperately to stay in the, right. This guy's a writer. Remember he's, you know, but he loves and, and made his career in the rock scene, uh, music scene. Like many musicians I met, I wanted desperately to stay in the game ardently to do well at it and determinedly not to disappoint the 16 year old version of myself that had been the unconscious but passionate architect of my career. Wow. Yeah. So I've been having fun doing a little reading and it's made in a strange way. A solitary activity makes me feel less alone, um, which is, uh, yeah, it's a good note to wrap up on. Um, thanks a bunch for listening and uh, for bearing with me. I know this was a long one, but hopefully it was fun. Tried to bring some good energy to it um, and an outline. So we'll, uh, we'll keep mixing it up. We'll keep throwing things at the wall, throwing spaghetti at the wall, not just throwing random things. That would be destructive, counterproductive. All right. Um, peace and love. Be with us all. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>